how much would you pay to smell nice? Uh, not that you don't already, uh, you understand, uh, but just suppose you needed to supplement the natural aroma with a little something. What would you pay? I've been looking at the prices of fragrances. They range from $6, that's how much you'll pay for a really small bottle of Giorgio Yellow. Uh, apparently, it is a formal feminine fragrance that blends the scents of bergamot, orange, ylang, ylang and musk. But if your nose deserves something rather finer, there is Angel for $60. Its fragrant nature explores the essences of honey, chocolate and caramel and is blended with notes of vanilla, patchouli and sandalwood. I can almost taste it. And because this is an equal opportunity sermon, let me say that men, you too can smell good also for as little as $6, which is what you'll pay for a small bottle of Dracar by Guy Laroche, a typically masculine scent with a classic fougere accord. Now updated with a contemporary fruity note, this fragrance is sharp and spicy with lavender and um, amber undertones. I don't know what a classic fougere accord is, but I reckon you should be driving it, not splashing it on your face. But what if you need something altogether classier? Well, according to Forbes magazine, the most expensive bottle of perfume you can buy is called Imperial Majesty. It is a limited edition of a Clive Christian fragrance and is on sale at Harrods and Bergdorf Goodman. And it is, I think you'll agree, very reasonably priced at $250,000 for a 16.9 ounce bottle. Actually, what you're paying for is the packaging. It comes in a Baccarat crystal bottle with a 5 carat diamond set in an 18 carat gold collar. Only 10 bottles were made. But I met this guy in the pub who'll sell you one for 25 bucks. Now, the Gentleman's Cologne edition of Imperial Majesty is available for $435,000. But can it make you surf like Old Spice can? I hope that none of you would spend a year's salary on a bottle of perfume. If you would, you and I need a little pastoral chat. And you need a pledge card. <laughs> but that is the setting for today's shocking gospel lesson. Jesus is at the house of the siblings Mary, Martha and Lazarus. The twelve disciples are there too. We've been to this house before. We know it well. We were that fly on the wall that other day when Jesus visited. We were humbled to watch that same Mary as she sat at his feet, transfixed by his every word. We chuckled to ourselves at that same Martha who ran around doing the housework, the wonderful host, but too busy to sit with Christ. We were at that house on another occasion too, on that terrible day when that same Lazarus succumbed to his illness and was laid in his grave. 
but joyously we were also present that glorious moment when Jesus called him from his tomb so here we are again Martha is serving no surprises there and Lazarus is entertaining their guests maybe with the story of how he was just getting used to being dead when this weird thing happened but the third member of the family Mary goes way beyond the normal conventions of hospitality she takes a pound of nard an expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus feet and then wipes it with her hair 300 denarii one year's wages this is imperial majesty stuff not surprisingly Mary's actions scandalize those present Judas sees this extravagance as a huge waste of money and he protests why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor hmm good question <laughs> really good question I think I might have asked the same thing what a waste a year's wages to pour on someone's feet think about the good that could have been done with that money the suffering that could have been relieved the under-resourced people who could have been helped I bet when you came to church this morning you didn't think you would end up agreeing with Judas but he has an excellent point and Jesus response seems shocking and annoyingly cryptic he says leave her alone it was intended that she should save this perfume for my burial there's something going on here the disciples are enjoying a pleasant evening having dinner with their friends in Bethany and out of the blue Jesus brings up the topic of death his death what's happening what it is that Jesus knew and Mary in her beautiful intuitive spirit knew but everyone else including us failed to spot is this the shadow of death hangs over this house this event takes place within the shadow of Jerusalem it's just two miles from the city stand on the roof and you can see it clearly peer very hard and you can make out the temple shimmering through the heat haze I dare say when the wind is in the right direction you can hear the sound of nails being hammered into wood and get this it's six days before Passover two miles from Jerusalem six days before Passover did you just feel something run down your spine because we know what happens six days later don't we we have seen the end of this movie and we know what awaits Jesus at the end of that two mile journey that half hour parade on a donkey past waving palm branches over strewn coats and on into the seat of power and religiosity the place where corrupt religious leaders would do away with a man who threatens to derail their gravy train and where brutal secular rulers would tolerate no hint of opposition to Caesar it's the day before Palm Sunday 
It's as if Jesus is saying, friends, we're going to Jerusalem. We have had a miraculous three years. We have laughed together, cried together. We felt the sting of hostile words, seen the ugliness of hate, tasted the bitter herbs of rejection. We've lifted each other, carried each other, borne the pains of each other. There were times we thought we could not go on, so tired were we, so wounded, so battle-weary. But we have seen faith reborn, hope ignited, hungry people eat, mournful people dance, the marginalised included, the forgotten remembered, the lonely loved, the dying healed and the dead raised. We have had three years of hell, but three years of heaven, breaking out wherever we were received, blooming wherever people of goodness dwelt. It's getting late. There's somewhere we have to be. There's a place I have to go. Wake up and smell the nard. Tomorrow we're entering the city. Crowds will go wild. They'll wave palms and put their coats on the ground. But don't be fooled. The poor, sadly, they'll still be here next week and the week after and forever. But we need to mark this last time together before I die. Next week, then we can think about the poor. Then we will change the world because the world will have been changed. Do you remember Easter morning? Mary Magdalene, a different Mary, goes to Jesus' tomb to anoint the corpse with spices. Remember that? That's why she went to the tomb early that Sunday morning. And on the way, she meets the risen Christ. You see, tradition demanded that dead bodies were to be anointed before burial. But she had not been able to do that on the Friday afternoon because by the time Jesus had died and his body was taken down from the cross, the sun was setting, Sabbath was about to start, and the law prevented people from touching dead bodies on the Sabbath. So the body of Jesus is quickly buried as the sun goes down without receiving that anointing with perfume. So Mary Magdalene hurries to the tomb at first light the day after the Sabbath to do what she didn't have time to do on the Friday afternoon. And when she gets there, she can't do it even then because there's no body. Christ has risen. So the corpse of Jesus never did get that anointing, ever. Instead, it happens now, at the home of Mary, Martha and Lazarus, a week early. Mary prepares Jesus for his burial a week before he dies. The air is thick with nard, but the impending death of Christ also permeates this house. But the nard was just the tip of the iceberg of shock. Mary is our sister and our role model. Let's count the sacred cows she slaughtered. She wastes a year's wages on anointing Jesus' feet. She does it herself. Now, washing the feet of guests was a custom, 
but it was one performed by the lowest household servant. Here's Mary, the lady of the house, stooping with the kind of humility that surely embarrasses everyone present. Three, she touches Jesus, casting another social convention to the ground. A woman never touched a man except her husband and children, and then only in private. And finally, Mary wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, in order to do that, of course, she has to have her head uncovered. And in that time and place, a respectable woman would never appear to people outside her family with her head uncovered. The true cost to Mary is not just a year's wages. It includes her reputation and her dignity. We are in the presence of greatness this morning. Not only Jesus, but this woman who risks misunderstanding, disapproval and judgment. Judas voices it, the others merely think it. In these final two weeks of Lent, Mary breaks open a perfume jar and breaks open my hard heart. She kneels before Jesus to pour her ointment and she kneels before me and begs me to worship with the same uninhibited sacrificial service. She touches those divine feet and calls me to touch people in my life who need compassionate connection. She literally lets her hair down and challenges me to abandon myself in the worship and service of God. This is a magnitude of devotion that I struggle to understand. I can't get my arms around it or my head. Imperial majesty, it seems, is not just a fancy perfume. It sums up Mary's vision of Jesus. It's getting late. Our journey to Jerusalem is nearing its end. There's a donkey outside. Let the sounds of the city linger in your ears. Let the smell of the nard awaken your senses. May we abandon our reservations, lay down our misgivings, rise and go with Christ. Amen.